And then Bendigade ran. He stopped and stared. He stopped talking in mid-sentence because something had caught his eye. On the horizon there was a sail. The sail was getting closer. A great, broad sail on a swift, slim ship. Getting closer and closer, but it wasn't just one ship. He could see now that it was thirteen ships. Thirteen sails. Cutting through the waves towards them. And all his friends and advisers turned, and they saw them too. These beautiful, swift ships coming to the shore. Bendigavran sent servants down to greet them, and now he could see. On the prow of the first ship, the most beautiful and swiftest ship of all, a man. A man standing there, tall and proud, holding a shield above his head. A sign of peace. Did you have your head? Bendigade ran, looked down. The man with the shield, he put it down. And he called out, I am a king of the country that I come from. The message I give is too important to give from the deck of the ship. I ask permission to set foot on the soil of your land. Bendigadran nodded his assent, and this stranger came to shore. My name is Matholoch, he said. I am the king of Ireland. This is my message. I come to marry Branwen. If she and I marry, then our two islands, the island of Ireland and the island of Britain, will live together in peace, harmony and friendship. Bendigade ran. He liked this. But he was far too canny to give his answer straight away. And from the cliff top, he shouted down to the Irish king, Matholoch, get back in your ships. Sail away from here. Go round the Llyn Peninsula and aim for Anglesey. And there, in the great sand dunes of Aberfrau, we shall meet. Now get in your ships and sail. We shall march, and we'll see who gets there first. Irish, they turned their ships to face west. They sailed out to sea, aiming for the tip of the clean peninsula. You, they are oil my And Bendigade ran, he led his people from Harlech, over the mountains, down the other side, towards the Menai Straits, and in they splashed. The Irish, they rounded the Fiend Peninsula. There they could see Anglesey laid out in front of them. Bendigade Bran leading his people across the flatland of Anglesey. Both of them making for Aberfrau, faster and faster and faster. And they arrived at exactly the same time. 
Bendigade Vran leads everyone into the tent. There is food for them, there is wine, a place for everyone, a great fire in the middle. Bendigadran, he sits in his huge chair. On his right-hand side there is his brother, Manawidan. On his left-hand side, the Irish king, Matholuch. On his left-hand side, Branwen. They sing, they rejoice, they feast, they drink, they laugh. And at the height of the festivities, Bendigadran looks at the Irish king and he says to himself, Surely... There is no better man in the whole world than this Matholoch king of Ireland, and yes, he shall marry my sister Branwen. He stood up and announced this. There was a huge cheer, and according to the custom of the time, Matholoch and Branwen were taken from their places, taken to a bedroom, put in the same bed, and immediately declared husband and wife. And the festivities went on. The festivities went on. This was a great celebration. This was a great celebration because the one person who could spoil it had not been invited. Evnissian. Evnissian, who can raise a quarrel and start a fight wherever he goes. This marriage, this alliance was too important to risk. So Bendigadran had simply not invited his half-brother. This is how Evnissian discovered that Branwen had been married. One day, Evnissian is walking down a road that he's been along many times before, through a forest. He walks down this road, and on the right-hand side there's a castle. He's been there many times himself. And beside it there is the stable, but he stops and stares because in front of the stable there is a sight he's never seen. A horse. A horse like he's never seen. Beautifully proportioned, strong, Headstrong, willful. He walks towards this horse. The closer he gets, the more beautiful it seems. And he can imagine what it would be like to gallop on this spirited horse. There's a stable boy nearby. He runs his eye over this horse and then he sees another one behind and another and another. He says to the stable boy, Whose horses are these, friend? And the stable boy replies, Oh, they belong to Matholoch. You know, the Irish king, you know, who's just married Branwen. And Evnissian says to himself, Is it like this? They treat a woman as good as her, and her a sister to me, marry her away to a foreigner without even asking my permission or telling me. Evnissian turned on his heel and went back along the path, carried along the road that he had taken and after a short while turned off it, and stood in the shadow of the trees and waited. Waited for the sky to darken, waited for the stars to appear, waited for every light in the castle to be extinguished, and then, in the darkness, he walked back along the path, but not towards the castle, towards the stable. He got to the doors and he eased them open. He stepped inside shut and bolted the door behind him, and he stood there in the darkness, the heavy smell of the horses around him, the straw underneath his feet, the occasional noise of the horse's hooves, and then he reached out and he touched a horse, touched it on his neck. He ran his hand, calming the horse, all the way up to the horse's head. He took hold of the horse's ear, he unsheathed his knife, and with one swift movement he cut off the horse's ear. 
The horses started to panic, but still in the dark he reached out. He reached out and he cut off ear after ear, let them fall to the floor. He reached out and fell to horse's back, ran his hand along its back, took hold of its quivering tail and cut it off at the base of its spine, and then another, and then another, and then another. He reached out and he could feel a horse's mouth, feel the flaring nostrils. He grabbed hold of the horse's lips and he cut off the lips with her blade. He cut off as many lips as he possibly could and now he reached out. He could feel the blood, sodden straw under his feet. He reached out towards a horse, ran his fingers up its muzzle, took hold of its eyelids and cut off the eyelids, cut off as many eyelids as he could. And then he walked out of that place, shutting the door behind him. When Matholoch discovered what had happened to his horses, he quickly held counsel with his advisers. What shall we do, he said. They were unanimous. Let's leave this awful place. They made their way down towards their ships. They made ready to leave. When news of this reached Bendigaidvran, he could not understand what was going on. Messengers went between the two kings and before long they realised that Evnissian was the cause of all this now. To Bendigaidvran there was nothing more important than this marriage and this alliance. So he turned to his brother, Manawidan, and said, Manawidan, go to the Irish king, find out what will please him. Whatever happens, make him stay, give him whatever he needs. Manawidan and Matholoch the Irish king sit together. And Manawidan says, We understand the insult you have suffered, and we will make good for it. We will give you a plate of beaten gold as wide as your own face. We will give you a rod of silver as thick as your thumb and as tall as yourself, if you only stay. And as for the horses that have been destroyed, we will give you a fit and healthy horse for every one that has been damaged. If you want, you can take all the trained horses in Wales, and if that does not satisfy you, please take as many of the untrained colts as you wish. What is your answer? Martholoch, he talked to his advisers, and they said, well, on balance, let's just stay. So they stayed. And again, that night there was a feast in the same huge tent amongst the sand dunes in Aberfrau. But although the wine was as good and the food was as good... The company was dismal. There was no laughter, no singing. Matholoch 
The Irish king, he hardly touched the food on his plate. He didn't even sip his wine. And Bendigade ran. He said to himself, I have not given this man enough to make up for the insult he has suffered. He turned and spoke. My friend, he said, not only will I give you a rod of silver and a plate of gold and as many horses as will satisfy you, I will give you something else, one of my greatest treasures. I will give you a pyre dadeni, the cauldron of rebirth. And for the first time, Motholoch, he looked up and smiled, and he said to Bendigaidran, Thank you, my friend, that is truly generous. And Bendigaidran, smiling, he said, But Motholoch, I'm surprised you have not heard of this Pyre Dadeni, the cauldron of rebirth, because it is from Ireland that I got it. Oh, said Motholoch, I know all about the cauldron of rebirth. And Motholoch, he told a story about when he, as a young king, was hunting in the northern part of Ireland, and he got lost. He got separated from his friends, separated from his dogs, and he was wandering lost and alone in the woodland. He walked and he walked and he walked until he came to a lake, a lake he did not know even existed. He stared at this lake because it was like no other. There was great heat coming from this lake. Suddenly he could see bubbles, this lake was boiling. Steam was pouring out of the lake. Smoke was swirling into the sky. It was getting hotter and hotter, but still he stared because he'd never seen anything like this in his life before. Before long, he was choking, surrounded by steam and smoke. And then the bubbling slowly stopped. The heat decreased. The wind blew the smoke and the steam away, and now he could see something. Now he could see something emerging from the smoke and steam, and suddenly he could see a giant, a huge man, a huge rust-coloured man, and on his back he had a cauldron, an enormous rusty iron cauldron. He only glimpsed the man for a second because the lake started to bubble and boil again. Bubble, boil and foam. Huge clouds of steam and smoke rising into the air. And then, just as before, the bubbling stopped. The wind blew. The mist and steam were blown away, and gradually he could see that giant again, but behind the giant, he could see something else. Something much bigger. Something much more terrifying. It was the giant's wife. And she was very pregnant and very grumpy. Because her baby was about to drop and she didn't want that giant baby to drop into the lake. So the giant had come to ask Matholoch's permission if he and his wife could come on to his land in order for his wife to give birth in comfort. In exchange... The giant promised Matholoch that when the giant child grew, it would become a soldier and fight in Matholoch's army. Matholoch really liked that idea, so he welcomed them onto the land. And six weeks later, the giant's wife gave birth. But not to a normal baby, not to a child, but to a fully grown, fully armed soldier. 
Six weeks later, she had another one. And then another. And another. And another. And another. And another. Before long, there was a huge army of these soldier children. And they went where they wanted. They took what they fancied. And they killed anyone who got in the way. And eventually, Matholic's people said to him, Whose king are you? Ours or theirs? Matholic realised he had to do something. He sent messages out to the four corners of Ireland, telling all the blacksmiths to come, to bring all their iron and all their charcoal and their biggest bellows. And there on the shore of the sea, they built a huge iron hall with great double doors that swung open. On the inside, they put benches and tables and wine and food. On the outside... They stacked up the charcoal right up to the very roof. Then they called the giant, his wife and their soldier children. There was nothing they liked better than feasting. They came in and they started to drink and eat and eat and drink. And as soon as the wine ran out, more wine was provided. They ate, they drank, they drank and ate until eventually they all lay dead drunk on the floor. And that's when Matholoch gave the order for the great doors to be slammed shut and bolted. And he told the blacksmiths to set fire in the charcoal. He told them to blow with their biggest bellows until eventually the flames were reaching up to the sky. They blew and blew and blew until the great iron hall was glowing red hot. The blacksmiths, they withdrew, but Matholoch said, no, it must be hotter than this. So they blew and blew and blew with their bellows until that huge iron hall was glowing white hot. And then when the heat was unbearable, there was a huge scream and the noise of rending metal. And out of that gash came the giant, the giant's wife and their whole army of soldier children. And they disappeared into the sea with a massive hiss and a huge cloud of steam. They walked on the seabed all the way to the coast of Wales. They emerged and standing between sea and shore, they looked at Bendigaidvran. The great giant with the cauldron on his back looked into the king's eyes and said... We search for shelter. We search for a home. We ask your permission to set foot on your land. Bendigaidran saw the soldiers and had an idea. Yes, you may come to my land, but there is something you must do for me. Do not stay together in one huge army, but I will post you in threes and fours around the island of Britain, so you will be defending us, keeping a lookout. The rust-coloured giant smiled. And he took the great cauldron off his back and gave it to Bendigaidvran. This, my friend, he said, is a Pyrdadeni, the cauldron of rebirth. If your soldiers are in an army, what you need to do is put the dead bodies of those that are slain into the great cauldron, set a fire underneath, and before long they will come out once more, alive, swinging their weapons above their heads, ready to fight as strong as ever before. The only difference will be they can't speak. And it is this cauldron, a Pyrdadeni, the cauldron of rebirth, that Bendigaidvran gave to the Irish king, Matholoch. And the very next day, Matholoch, the horses he had been given, all the Irish who had come with him, the rod of silver, the plate of gold, 
and a pyre de Denny were put in the ships with Branwen and they sailed westwards towards Ireland. And there Branwen was crowned High Queen of all Ireland. There wasn't a single Irish noble that didn't go away from meeting her with a beautiful gift of pure red Welsh gold encrusted with jewels so that they wondered at the value of the gift they had been given and the generosity of their new queen. And in time, Branwen became pregnant and she gave birth to a beautiful baby boy and she called him Gwern after the alder tree. Gwern, the little prince, half Irish, half Welsh, the hope for both nations. Tirt lang briod ferch wrth enwyth anerch Mae'r brenin oed raserch ymdrysia Cliwdd ei arwyr ddi Mae'r nef yn canu Didd Will you hear all our